Welcome to the Executive Function Podcast, where we make the invisible keys to success easy for you to teach your child. We'll go beyond theory to proven action, helping you create peace and independence at home and at school with your host, educational author, award-winning teacher, and celebrated learning coach, Sarah Kesti. Hey there, welcome to the Executive Function Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Kesti, and today we're talking about the fork in the road that we push students in when we ask them to be good at everything. Hang with me, it's going to be a great episode. I won't ever forget the day I met Matt. I approached him in his co-teach math class, asking him quietly if he had a pencil so he could get started on notes. He took one look at me, rolled his eyes, and said, Shut the F up, B. All right, I thought, that's my cue to try even harder. Hmm, I take that as a no, I asked him. Here. I gave him the pen from my pocket and smiled at him. Get going so you don't fall behind. He sighed loudly and gave me a look that I was the stupidest thing on earth, but he did start his notes. Turns out Matt was in a bad way in his apartment, surrounded by drug dealers and stressed out to protect his baby sister. School was a low priority, but he did show up every day, and his difficulties in math made him feel helpless. He needed to act aloof, even a little mean, so that he kept his tough front. Or there's the way I met Tony. He was kicked off the school bus before it had even left campus for the day for yelling at the driver. I had to go on the bus and ask him to come to the office with me. And when I finally got him to leave, he jumped off the bus and squarely onto my foot. I cried in pain. I've had 11 surgeries on the foot that he landed on. And he swore he didn't mean to, but he also laughed about it when his friends egged him on from the window of the bus. The next week, instead of remaining angry at him, I invited him to my classroom for a backpack party, which literally is just organizing his backpack, but call it a party. It works magic. And we talked about life. And that's where I found out why he felt he had so many reasons to yell at other people. Tony had lost his dad to gun violence two years before, and the trial for the shooter was starting. And I can't leave out Sierra, the too honest for her own good and scared of her own success middle schooler who knew how to get kicked out of the classes she didn't enjoy. She was a hot mess every day of the two years I taught her, and she taught me to remember today's lesson. Sierra was the embodiment of the saying that kids would rather be seen as naughty than dumb. She was more comfortable in the office, in trouble, than she was asking for help in class. Today I want to teach you that so much of what we call bad behavior is actually strategies students use to protect themselves or hide their struggles. School asks kids to be good at pretty much everything, and we just don't have this as adults. No one asks me to run the mile or balance chemical equations, and that is just fine with me. In fact, it's by design. I'm not naturally good at either of those things. I don't enjoy either of those things, and so I chose a career and lifestyle that wouldn't require them of me. I no longer have to be good at everything. But our kids are asked to show competency across academic areas as well as in physical fitness, 
required every year to meet age-based benchmarks rather than being recognized for their growth. It would be like somebody telling you, hey, you're 40 now. You should be able to do 20 push-ups, write an analysis of the Federalist Papers, graph an inequality that requires long division. I think you get the point. And you may be thinking, well, kids should be exposed to all of these things so that they have options in the future. I agree, but it's our expectation of the same level of skills without recognition of where kids start that gets us into the mess I just described at the beginning. When we ask kids to perform at a level not yet aligned with their individual skill sets, we're putting them at a fork in the road. There's a divide that they have to choose. They can choose to be vulnerable and ask for help, risking potentially letting your peers see that you're, quote, dumb, or they can act like they don't care and are bad enough to be kicked out of class. And sometimes that second option is more attractive than the first. But teaching and coaching executive function skills offers a third option for our kids, the growth road. When we can get kids into a space where they recognize the value of strategies, then we can bypass that whole be good at this or find a way to avoid it conundrum. We can get kids into a space where the challenge is doable because they're on their own team, but it takes a decent amount of time. Now, if your kid that you are raising is like the kids I'm describing, please remember there's hope. There is so much hope. And I hope today's strategies will help you kind of find that mindset and grow that mindset in your child. And I do change the names for the examples, and I wait a few years so the students aren't in my classroom when I give you these examples, just to remain professional. But I do have an update on Tony, um, and that's not his real name, Doi, but he just contacted me to say that he got a job at a bank, and he's doing really well, and this was a kid who jumped on my foot, yelled in my face, all kinds of crazy things before we were able to find some strategies. And he embraced some of his learning challenges and he is wholly unstoppable. And I'm so, so, so proud of him. So there is so much hope. There's just that little third road that we need to add in terms of giving a third option, not just feel helpless and potentially embarrassed, feel naughty and get out of class. That third option where we're like, you know what, we're embracing that this is tricky and we're ready to try some strategies. So if you wanted to also do a little bit of research outside of this podcast, there's a growing body of research on growth mindset and a lot of books on growth mindset for kids. And that's a great area to start in terms of getting somebody to recognize that we're not all born great at things, that it takes practice, and that sometimes it takes some strategies. So that's a secondary option for support if this is really resonating with you. All right, I have found a few ways to get kids into that mindset of accepting strategies for their own help, and I hope they help you. Here we go. The first one is to focus on the fun strategies. So as you're bringing this into your child's awareness, go ahead and have them recognize that, oh, I use a strategy for lots of different things. And that way you're kind of normalizing it, making them recognize the value, but not in a, um, to borrow a kid phrase, not in a cringy way, (laughs) not in a way that makes them roll their eyes like, oh, come on, but in a way that they're like, oh, I already have buy-in to that. So 
If your child plays a game or sports, chances are they already have strategies that they use and tweak, but because they're in the fun context of a game, the strategies might not be recognized right now. So begin to talk to your child about the strategies he uses in soccer, for example, uncovering how and why he chose them, along with any times he's had to adapt them. Video games also require strategies, sometimes they even refer to them as hacks, that are worthy of discussion. The idea behind this is to bring strategizing into your child's awareness and build the lines of thinking that are related to strategies. So planning, trying it, adapting, a lot like the engineering process actually, and that will support academic strategies later. So start with the fun strategies. That's our first strategy. How many times can I say that word? All right, my second strategy for accepting strategies is to ask and stare expectantly. I imagine I've already shared a bit of this idea with you, but it's certainly worth repeating. Once your child is more aware of the presence and the role of strategies in life, you can move into a coaching position with them. My favorite way to do so on the planning end of things is like this. What's your strategy for? And then stare at them right in the eyes expectantly. This will be torture for both of you for a little while, but wait it out. Kids will not enjoy the silence and they'll often dig deep for really great answers. If we just accept the usual first response of, I don't know, then we rob them of the chance to really think of their own ideas. Don't be tempted to bail them out with suggestions unless they're truly stumped and you're sure of it. If you're met with, I don't know, try again with the same question or a slightly different one. What's your strategy to get started? Or what do you plan to do to help yourself stay focused? Using wait time helps encourage slash manipulate them into talking. Staring expectantly sends the dual messages that you very strongly believe in them and you're not going to quit until they strategize. Dang magic right there. (laughs) So funny story related to this. I once asked a student, what's your strategy for finishing your English vocab? And he said very coolly, eh, I'll find someone to copy off of. (laughs) And I cringed, but I couldn't argue. I mean, he was honest. And of course, I made sure to support his getting the work done more independently. But it was a pretty funny honesty moment of he answered, what's your strategy? Because I gave him that awkward wait time. But boy, was I surprised by the answer. So you may find that your child is going to come up with a cheating strategy. And that's when we can work around that one. But it also helps recognize that, hey, they did have a strategy. All right, last one. Make strategizing a celebrated hot topic in your house or classroom. Normalizing ideas often reflects in our language, the words we choose to use, and the ideas we choose to share. As an adult, you often strategize. You make a list, you plan to avoid people or topics, you change the way you act in front of certain people. When appropriate, share these strategizing thoughts with your kids, noting how and why you plan, how your plan went, what you reflected on, and what you'll do differently next time. For example, 
if you have a party that you're hosting or a dinner or an event that you're planning, you can involve your child in planning and prepping, all the while sharing the strategies you use to do so. Pulling off a party is an executive function success. You schedule it, you invite others, manage the guest list, plan food and decorations, shop, clean at the right times, cook and manage food prep. It's a fun way to celebrate all the strategies you use. If you teach, make it a regular practice to have students share their strategies with the class as you notice them. For example, if you see a student use a sticky note reminder, celebrate that strategy and ask the student why they chose to use it. Of course, there are lots more ideas coming your way in future episodes, but for now, focus this week on reframing how you see aloof or uncooperative attitudes. What challenges do these negative actions mask? All right, my dears, time for this week's pep talk. Hey kid, happy week. I hope school is going great for you. Um, Your grown-up just listened to an idea about strategizing and how sometimes when you're grumpy at school, maybe it's because you're feeling uncomfortable, but you're not quite sure how to ask for help or you're afraid to use a strategy that you might use in a different space. And so you're feeling awkward and that makes you act like a grump. Your adult's going to be looking for that and also looking for opportunities to help you strategize because you use strategies all the time. So think about when you're playing video games. You might get stuck at a certain level and then talk to other people about how they passed it or you figure out a way to pass it and then you try that way. Well, that way is using a strategy. So you also use strategies when you change the way you act between how you act in front of friends and how you act in front of a teacher, how you act in front of your grandma. Those are all opportunities to use strategies of self-management. You're using strategies. Also, one that I know you probably use because I definitely used it when I was in school. You know how when your brain just can't read anymore, but your teacher has like five more minutes on the timer, so you move your eyes to make it look like you're reading, but you're not really? That's a strategy too. I'm not saying all strategies are positive and that you should use them all the time, but the idea is you use strategies all the time, already. Your adult's going to be encouraging you to use new strategies through this podcast and through their research because everyone uses strategies because they make life easier. This week, your grown-up will help you recognize when you use strategies in hopes of reminding you that it's a good thing and that no one is naturally good at everything. Sometimes we all need some help to strategize the struggle. I hope you have a wonderful week at school, my dear. Um, And thank you so much for everybody writing in, letting me know how the podcast is helping. Remember, I'm very open to ideas. So if something's really stumping you, let's strategize it together on the podcast. And please remember to like and review and share the podcast. And it really warms my heart that we're able to help so many more families because of your support. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and I'll talk with you soon. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Executive Function Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over to sarahkesty.com where you'll find more resources and chances to connect with others. And please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast. We're eager to transform the lives of even more families. 